This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Just two gals being pals during the Great Depression. It's fried green tomatoes, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. On this week's episode, we've got a patron request. It's the 1981 film, Fried Green Tomatoes, based on the earlier or no 91 film. yeah 91 because the book is like 86 yes. or 7 based on the 80s novel of the same name with a few words added mm-hmm. fried green tomatoes mm-hmm. at the whistle stop cafe this was a patron request an academy award-winning patron gray hightower requested this one if you want to do the same head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit support us for 15 dollars a month and uh, shoot us a recommendation, and it'll get thrown up towards the top of the list. At the rate we've been doing it, every other episode or so yeah, um, has been a patron request. That may slow down a little bit if we don't get a bunch of new patrons. We may lean right. back towards right. our list, which is also incredibly long. but Very expansive. <laughs> very expansive. We won't, run out of any, uh, <laughs> we won't run out of movies and books anytime soon. Um, but if you have something in particular that you'd like to hear us talk about, Patreon.com slash this film is lit. 15 bucks a month. Stick around for a couple months and we'll do it. So we have every single segment this this episode, mm-hmm. right? Every yes. single one. So let's just get right into it with Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. The first narrative of Fried Green Tomatoes follows Evelyn, an unhappy middle-aged woman who befriends an elderly woman named Ninny. Ninny tells Evelyn stories about growing up in Whistlestop, a small town in Alabama, during the Great Depression. She specifically tells stories about Iggy and Ruth, two women who lived in Whistlestop. The second narrative follows Iggy and Ruth, their relationship, and how Iggy may or may not have murdered Ruth's ex-husband. That's roughly the movie. Yes. Katie, uh, the book? The book encompasses everything that you just said and also much more. Okay. There you go. That's a rough... Uh, Rough summation, and yeah, the the book has a lot more going on. The movie that's that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's thematically stuff we'll get into, but plot wise, that's the most important stuff. So it's game show time. Let's do it. Guess who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. Okay, so we have a couple here. I think you. We'll probably get all of these. All right. So let, 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 let's see. Let's see. She looked at the man in the worn out dirty jacket, frayed brown shirt, and cracked leather laceless shoes. Okay. Uh, seems to be have uh, sort of clothing that's kind of falling apart. No shoelaces in his shoes. A worn out jacket. I'm going to assume, and she looked at him. This is a thing 
that happens in the movie. Uh, and I'm going to assume that this is, and I, I'm trying to remember his name now. He's like the local um, alcoholic who they sh- let stay in the like shed out back or something. Uh, and I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, it's like he has a nickname, mm-hmm. I feel like. Smokey, Smokey something? His name is Smokey Lonesome. Smokey Lonesome. Yeah. That was it. Because oh, I wanted to kept, I kept wanting to say Smokey Joe, but I'm thinking of Big Joe. Like Joe's the. George. George. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big George. Smokey Joe might be somebody. I don't know. That might be from like pop culture. That yeah, I, I Smokey know. Joe is like another character from something. something. That Anyways, sounds familiar. But Smokey. Smokey Ransom. That's who Lonesome. Lonesome. Smokey Lonesome. Smokey Ransom. <laughs> Great. Eight million names. And me. I don't know if it was made specific in the movie. In the in the book, he's like a a depression era. They call him like a hobo or a drifter or a vagrant. That's what it seems yeah. like, yeah. He like rides around on the trains. Yeah, I mean, well, we don't they don't ever make it super clear in the movie, but he just kind of shows up one day and mm-hmm. it seems like maybe Iggy knows who he is, maybe not and just kind of recognizes that he's he seems to be suffering from um withdrawal basically at yeah. their at their bar um or at the at their uh cafe and then she kind of like helps him out and gives him a place to stay. Uh, and then he he does kind of just mosey on and disappear after mm-hmm. the murder occur or you know after um Frank dies. So I I think it's implied that he's kind of just like a drifter, yeah. yeah. Like your classic depression era hobo. Yes. I don't know if hobo is <laughs> a derogatory term anymore. I don't know, I don't but I feel like I feel like for depression era specifically, like that was what they called them, right? Well, yes, but that doesn't mean <laughs> There's lots of things people call <laughs> well, people yeah, during sure. periods that don't mean it's okay. Sure, but I, I, I'm just saying I feel like it's like when you're talking about that specific time period, it's like a specific, like yeah, I, I, it's possible that it's a to- to- totally not. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's why that's why I was wondering, but I didn't look it up, so don't have an answer for that <laughs> one. All right, next one. From Wikipedia, the origin of the term hobo is unknown. Here are some common potential <laughs> ideas of where it could come from. Author Todd DePastino notes that some have said that it derives from the term ho-boy, meaning farmhand, or a greeting such as ho-boy, but that he does not find these to be convincing explanations. Bill Bryson suggests in Made in America from 1998 that it could either come from the railroad greeting ho-bo, like B-E-A-U, or a syllabic abbreviation of homeward bound, hobo. It could also come from the words homeless boy. So there you go. A good-looking, tall blonde with freckles and curly hair came to the door, wearing a clean shirt and men's trousers. She looked to be in her early 20s. Well, that's itchy, I would assume. Yeah, that is itchy. The men's clothes, uh, short, well, not short necessarily, but curly blonde hair. Easy. You could say he was a dandy. You could say he was handsome in a black Irish sort of way, with that head of thick hair and the steel blue eyes, although one was made of glass. Hmm. Boy, I don't even know what to do with that one. (laughs) One eye made of glass. There's nobody in particular that sticks out to me in the movie as having an eye made of glass, except potentially... And I'm also tying this into the fact that they you could say he was a dandy, but that um, but handsome. I wouldn't say this guy was handsome. Um, the only person I could think of who looks like they may have had a glass eye was uh, the the 
I can't remember. Uh, Schmoot, Schmoot, the sheriff, Schmoot, the guy from the guy Georgia, from Georgia, who shows up to like keeps coming back to potentially arrest them. Mm-hmm. The the actor that plays that character has like one of his eyes is like a little something I don't know, and so like maybe that could be like a, supposed to be a glass eye or something. But other than that, I, I the other person I could. I don't know what black Irish sort of way means, and I don't want to. I, I don't want to <laughs> p- even ponder or guess at what that means. I had to look that up. We can. Yeah, we can talk. Okay. About it in a minute. Because um, the other person I could think of would be Grady, but he doesn't have a glass eye, at least not seemingly. And I, oh, I guess what's his name could. Okay, it could be. You know, that could be Frank. I don't think he has a glass eye in the movie, but that actor also. Um, I'm going to say it's Frank. It is Frank. Oh, got there in the end. <laughs> wow. It that took to you it. a minute. You wound around, but yeah. you got there. Um, yeah, he has a glass eye in the yeah. book. He lost an eye in the war. Yeah, that's never mentioned in the movie, and yeah, there's no. not really any. I mean, there's not really any reason for it. No. It doesn't really, like, it doesn't add anything to no. the plot okay. overall, but... But what does is, what is a black Irish sort of way mean? Uh, black Irish, I had to look this up because I saw it and I was like, oh, I bet that's something offensive. Um, so this was a term that uh, the origins of it are a little bit muddled mm-hmm. as origins of, like, slang terms tend to be. Um, at least from further back before we had, like, the internet right. to easily track them. Um, so this was uh, a way that allegedly sometimes, like, uh, maybe mixed-raced people might refer to themselves to, like, hmm. downplay their, like, um, the part of their heritage that was a person of color. Gotcha. Like, black Irish. Okay. Like, oh, I'm Irish, I just, like... My hair is really dark. Gotcha. Well, and that is thing. that was a thing. At least I'm fairly certain this is true, and I'm I'm going off script here a little bit, and that I'm not positive, but I do believe Irish people, um, for a period, were essentially considered not they weren't called people of color, but were regarded in the same way as black people. To the point yeah, where they were considered not white, essentially in yeah, American, like it's during, complicated, but yeah, yeah. like yeah, not not considered, but like considered not white, essentially mm-hmm. in the same way that like Italians, you know, other people that now people would colloquially call right. white. There are, yeah, there are groups of the ethnic, which is why white being white is nonsense, right? But. Like <laughs> like the Irish or like Italians, like you said, who historically have not been considered part of the white, the white. Community, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but have like since gotten there. Since, yeah, yeah, it's a big mess. It's what race yeah, is big made mess. up, and the points don't matter. It's it is, stupid. yeah, it is. Comp- yeah. <laughs> okay, last one. He hadn't seen a neat and clean woman in months, and this one was the prettiest woman he had seen in his entire life. She was wearing a dotted Swiss organdy dress and her auburn hair was pulled back with a red ribbon. I don't know what an organdy dress is, but the fact that she's very neat and clean and pretty uh, makes me assume that this would be Ruth. That is Ruth. Yes. I don't know who here would be describing this person. Oh, uh, Smoky Lonesome. Smoky Lonesome. Okay, so we get something from, not from his, kind of from his perspective at times. A, a little bit, okay. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but that one's pretty obvious. That was four for four. That was Nailed four it. for four, yeah. You were right. I almost missed on the Frank one. That was the hardest one, in my opinion, mm-hmm. just because the, the glass eye was like a... 
I left a red the, herring. I left the glass eye in on purpose because it was a red herring. Yeah, I, I mean, otherwise, I still don't know if I would have gotten it. Like, yeah, because still, it just could have been any of the guys. Like, basically. If they had kept the glass eye in the movie, I would have taken that out of mm-hmm. my description because it would have been a dead giveaway. There you but go. all right, let's go ahead and move on to was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So I have a handful of questions, not a ton, but um, some interesting ones, I hope. Uh, and this is an interesting thing. Right away, early on, even at a very young age, we get the the vibe in the movie that Iggy, uh, Imogene, I believe is her yes. full name, her Christian name, if you will. Uh, she's She's not like other girls. <laughs> <laughs> we find out very early um, because she's there. Her older sister is getting married. Um, who I don't remember what her name is in the movie. Oh, I don't remember. It's not important. It oh, it's Emily. Leo, it's Leona. I Leona? think. Okay. But I don't remember if it was the same in the movie. Yeah. Anyways, uh, her older sister's getting married and she's getting dressed and she comes down the stairs in like a, a dress, like a mm-hmm. typical like little girl wedding dress type of thing. Not wedding dress, but, you know, a dress a little girl would wear to a wedding in the early 1900s. And, uh, like, her nephew or cousin or brother or whatever is, like, making fun of her and that sort of thing. Um, and she her knees are all scraped up from running around outside. And she jumps and, like, beats up her brother. And uh, and then we cut away from that and to the next shot, her in the, in the church at the wedding. And she's now wearing, like, a young boy's suit, I would assume. Mm-hmm. It looks kind of, you know, it looks like a suit and jacket, like a jacket and vest with, like, pants, basically. Uh, it's not exactly correct. <laughs> I don't know exactly what it is, but it looks like a, a young boy's outfit. Um, it's giving us the vibe right away, you know, that she's she's a little different than the traditional uh, um, traditionally enforced gender roles of the period. She doesn't yes. confine to those. Uh, is she that is what we might call a tomboy? A tomboy, yes. Uh, is that uh, that particular scene with that change of clothes from the book? Um, uh, yes, it's not quite as dramatic in the book. You, you skipped the part in the movie where she climbs into the treehouse oh, and yes. like takes That's off right. the dress and throws it throws out of the treehouse yeah, on the ground. And Buddy has to go like talk to yeah. her. Um, but it's not that dramatic in the book. She basically just like puts on the dress and everyone tells her that she looks pretty. And then she like immediately takes it off and announces that she's never going to wear a dress again. Yeah. No one hates skirts and dresses more than girls in historical fiction. Mm, That's a true, true. statement. Regardless of regardless <laughs> of, of any of other factor or persuasion or anything. There, no one hates dresses and skirts more than girls in historical fiction. This is true. Uh, but that's what happens. And then they do have a suit made for her so that she can wear pants instead. Gotcha. So it's from the book. Uh, so then, uh, this is moving way ahead here. This is a scene, and this is like a fantasy or a dream, I guess, in the in the in the movie. But it's just a very particular scene that's in the. Tra- I noticed it. I made note of it because it was also in the trailer. I, I guess because mm. it's. I don't know. It's you know, attention getting. Yeah, it kind of makes you say like, what what's going on yeah, here? Is this shot of uh, Kathy Bates who plays Evelyn? in the movie um, greeting her husband at the door completely wrapped in like this cellophane, like she's clothing. like created a dress for herself out of cellophane. Yes. Which it's side note. sounds like a nightmare. Sounds like a nightmare. Incredibly I don't know hot. how you would do it by yourself. It's also not 
the the version she has made is not a seductive cellophane. Not that you, I don't even know. I mean, I I don't know if you could do it seductively, but the one she has is like. It's, it's a very like, a like 80s regal like style kind of. <laughs> yes. Well, and the thing to me too is that I feel like, and I could be wrong here because I've never really considered a seductive plastic wrap dress, but I feel like the draw is that it's see-through. Yes, that no? is 100 This movie had to, yes. The, the idea would be that it's at least a little bit see-through, I would imagine. Right. And so thus it, yes, it's a little bit see-through and that's the, the seductive part of it. Um, and so because it's a PG-13 movie, right. they were like, well, we can't do that. So it's just like 8 million layers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of saran wrap to the point where it, it's no more seductive than normal clothes. Yeah. It's just a piece of... It's just of like an 80s evening gown <laughs> made out of saran wrap. Yes. Uh, but that is mentioned in the book that El, that Evelyn tried that once, the mm, saran okay. wrap dress, and Ed reacted poorly the way that he does in the movie. Uh, to be fair, that could be a memory in the movie. Yeah. I, uh, I, I interpreted sure. it in the movie as like her imagining that scenario because mm -hmm. like the teacher in that class who was played by Fanny Flagg, we mentioned in the prequel mm -hmm. episode, um, says like, you know, do something to spice up your love life or whatever. And this is like I was I was imagining her. I, I pictured this is her imagining the scenario, but it also could equally have been her like remembering a time she tried to do that and it went poorly well i think like in the book we know that it, she actually did try this like this happened yeah. i think in the movie you're right though i think this is something that she's imagined yeah because later on doesn't she ask ed what he would do oh that's right you're was, right she, she does like opened yes. the door and was wearing saran wrap and yes. he was like i would take you to the crazy house yes, or something you're like right. that i forgot about that moment where she uh she does ask him so yeah. yes you're right it is not a memory I was just thinking based on what you said about the book that maybe, oh, maybe it was, no, you're correct. Yes. All right. This is a fun scene in the movie. Uh, this is after uh, Ruth, a lot of things happen. Um, Buddy's killed by a train. Does that happen in the book? Yes. I figured. I didn't ask <laughs> about it because I just assumed it was, it seemed like a major change if not. Uh, played by, uh, what's his name? The guy who played Robin in Batman Forever and like was oh. on a bunch of 90s TV shows. Um, oh, I, I can't remember that actor's name. Oh, no. Chris O'Donnell. He was also in Scent of a Woman, The Three Musketeers, Vertical Limit, and most recently, NCIS Los Angeles. Anyways, uh, he gets killed by a train. Blah, blah, stuff happens. They've grown up now, and or at least they're like teenagers now. And uh, Iggy and Ruth are hanging out. And this is, Ruth is supposed to be, Iggy's mom has brought Ruth in, essentially, mm -hmm. to stay with them and try to, to like put Iggy on the straight and narrow. Because Iggy's, you know. She's a rebel. She does her own thing. Her mom's like, I don't know what's going on with her. I don't know how to help her. Maybe you can be a good influence on her. Uh, and it kind of backfires and goes the other way, whereas Iggy ends up being uh, more of an influence on Ruth. And one of the things they do together is they go and they get on a train that's, like, full of food. Yeah, and they hop like, a train. They hop a train, and then the train is driving through, um, uh, a, what you might call it, um, a Hooverville. A Hooverville, yes. That's yeah. the word I was looking for. Uh, <laughs> like a tent city, you know, like yeah. uh, big cities full of um, people that have been had lost their homes due to the Depression and stuff like that. And then they're just chucking food out uh, Robin Hood style um, to the masses as they as they drive through uh, this Hooverville. Uh, and it's a fun scene. Um, <laughs> I'll talk about it a little bit more, but I wanted to know if that was something that happened in the book. Not that exact scene. But it is inspired by something from the book. In the book, there's a character called Railroad Bill 
who is a Robin Hood type folk hero mm. in the area. And Railroad Bill does throw food and supplies off of trains so that poor people can find it. And it's repeatedly mentioned that the law can't catch up ah. with them. Can't catch Railroad Bill. Uh, and at the end, it is revealed slash implied that Railroad Bill was edgy the whole time. Ooh. So there's that. What a twist. Yeah. Different twist in the movie. We'll, we'll get there. Interesting. I uh, That scene I, I thought was fun in the movie and, you know, my bleeding leftist heart adored it. But <laughs> I also could not help but chuckle at it because they keep cutting to these in the movie. They keep cutting to these close-ups of little kids running next to the train. Yeah. And they're throwing off cans of food. <laughs> yeah. And all I could keep envisioning was like, the, you know, it cuts a little kid like smiling like food. And then they chuck a giant can of beans out and it just smack hits the kid in the face and like knocks him out cold like that. I mean, they're not moving very fast and whatever, but it's just the way it's 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 edited together. I was like, it's one of those kids going to get pegged with a can of beans. Is one of those kids going to get pegged in the face with a can of beans? Oh, man, that would have been great. So uh, Iggy the Bee Charmer is a, a scene. And we talked about this a little bit in the prequel as this, this was a scene where uh, Mary Louise Parker's uh, who plays Ruth. Her um, stunt double had to leave the movie for some, I don't remember. I don't remember all the details of what happened, but her stunt double quit and she ended up doing most of the stunts in the movie herself because mm -hmm. of that, a including this scene or no, not Mary Louise Parker, um, Mary Stuart Masterson. Yes. The other one. The other Mary. We, I had a, I had a note about this for the prequel that I never that I just took out um, was that the director called them Stu and Lou Aww. because he, their names were so close together. Yeah. So that's cute, though. Yeah. Mary Louise Mashton was Lou and then Stuart was Stu. Um, but uh, yes, who plays Iggy? She goes, they, they, they're on a picnic and she finds this. They, she knows there's this giant tree there full of bees, like thousands of, you know, so huge many bees. bee colony. Uh, and she walks right up to it and pulls a chunk of honeycomb out of it and puts it in a jar and walks back. And it is Mary Stuart Mashton. Yes. Doing that mm -hmm. um, and not a stunt double. And it, I mean, it's very clear it's her doing it. She's just walking there covered in bees. And it's, it's like, <laughs> well, okay. Um, and then, uh, so that, there's that moment. And you can tell this very much impresses Ruth. She's like kind of taken by this and her, her bravado and her sort of devil may care attitude to, about life, that sort of thing. She ends up giving her uh, the nickname, the bee charmer mm -hmm. because of, because of this moment. Is that from the book? Yes. Uh, the scene with the bees and the nickname, the bee charmer, are both from the book that plays out very similarly. I wanted to ask because the bee charmer becomes important later, for mm -hmm. the movie at least. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it does in the book. Uh, so there's a scene, um, the recurring thing is that uh, Evelyn, uh, um, Kathy Bates' character, is is trying to figure out her life. She's a middle-aged woman who doesn't know what she, where, you know, she has kind of no direction or mm -hmm. she's in a failing uh, loveless marriage. And she's just trying to figure out what to do with her life. And she keeps going to these different classes and stuff. And she ends up at one class, which is like a women's sexuality empowerment class. And uh, they hand out mirrors and they're all going to sit around in a circle and inspect their own vaginas together. And I wanted to know if that scene was from the book. <laughs> uh, she, Evelyn leaves. She's like, I got to get out of here. I'm, just, I'm not mm -hmm. into this. Um, uh, sort of. Kind of similar to the saran wrap thing. It's mentioned briefly that Evelyn had gone to a couple of meetings at the Women's Community Center, but stopped going to those meetings after one of the women suggested that they all sit in a circle and look at their vaginas with mirrors. 
Okay. So she was equally uncomfortable with it. Is some real? Is that second wave feminism shit? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like that essentializing 70s. the 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 femininity down to like yeah reproductive organs. Very second, yeah, yeah. The like power to the pussy, yeah, kind type of stuff. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's second wave feminism. Yeah, it's a good thing we got past that. Not that I don't think there could be. For certain people, certain women in certain situations, that that would make sense as a thing potentially, but essentializing femininity to right reproductive organs is not only problematic for not only is that problematic for non cis people, obviously, but it's it's also just even cis people. It's weird. Well, to me, yeah, it seems strikes me as weird. Reductive. Yeah, I understand it. Looking historically at the need to like for women to like take control of their own sexuality yeah you know it's looking back at it it's like maybe we could have done that better yeah maybe there was a better way maybe to there do was it. a better way to do it but it's a stepping stone yeah and we are where we are now yeah so it is one of those things that does feel like one of those sort of trans you know you go through those periods of like okay yeah that, yeah looking back now that was not great <laughs> but you but you like you said coming from a place where women are incredible tended to be right, incredibly like coming, sexually repressed coming from like a 1950s housewife yeah kind of a place like i understand how we ended up at there at let's all take mirrors and look at our vaginas right <laughs> yeah it makes sense but then yeah you also glad that it is we have progressed past that yeah. uh, understanding of sexuality and femininity uh in the modern day uh so let's talk about grady Grady is um, the sheriff in Whistle Stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also a literal Klansman. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that was my... Uh, so there's a lot of layers to this. Uh, he's the sheriff. Um, he's also into Iggy, and they're, like, friends, and, like, he's, like... She's his unrequited love, basically. Like, he, he keeps trying to, like, court her, and she just won't have it. And... Uh, at one point, she gives him shit about the clan being in town and makes a remark to him about being able to recognize his shoes underneath the clan robes because he's got big feet or whatever. And then later, I thought maybe he wasn't in the clan because they're, later the clan shows up and he's not with them. Like he's the sheriff and he's telling them to like get lost and that sort of thing and kind of sort of sticking up for the town, you know, mm-hmm. like not being not on the side of the clan but he does say i'll talk to the boys when she gives him Mm -hmm. shit about the clan the first time so i was like okay so is he in the is he not is what's going on here um but it's to me his whole character felt kind of problematic because he he's if he is a clan member and even if he's not he's still seemingly racist in the movie um and he uh sort of gets played off in the movie as like kind of a good old boy who's yeah he's 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 racist and maybe he's in the clan but he's he's harmless i even think they call him harmless in yes. the movie like yeah. Iggy or somebody does says he's harmless uh and it and it's real gross it's complicated and i think that's what they're going for is like people are complicated it's like but also some people just aren't clan members like that's a thing Anyways, let's talk about Grady. Yeah, what's his deal let's in the book? Let's talk about Grady. So, he is in the book. He is the sheriff, and they also say he's a railroad detective, although I'm not sure if those are, like, the same thing or... I'm sure that was just a secondary thing, a, like, like for, if you're title. a small train stop town... Right. they make the sheriff the, sheriff the railroad also detective. Does, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, so, uh, and he is a Klansman, 
um, oh, revealed in the same way that Iggy points out that she can recognize his shoes. Um, quick note, we'll talk about it later, but just for clarity's sake, the clan members that show up in the movie are the Georgia Oh, okay. clan members that's why he's like when he confronts them he's like i don't i don't recognize any of you boys because yeah. they're not they're not the home they're not the good local clan <laughs> they're not the hometown team as it were i knew there was some of them because obviously frank is with them but i thought i was thinking it was also the local group and like frank's mm-hmm. group or what i don't know i i wasn't sure what the whole deal with that was but you're right okay yeah so they're the they're the traveling. It's their tra- It's their. It's it's their travel team. It's their away team. Good God, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, probably my biggest overall criticism of this book is that it is not critical of Grady, yeah. like at all. Uh, he's a Klansman, and he also has a lot of moments in the book and the movie where he's yeah. presented as being a good person mm-hmm. or at least doing good things. I will say that the book never has anyone literally call him harmless. I think, like you said, the message overall is supposed to be like, people are complex, which I'm sure. But also the dude's literally a Klansman. Yeah. Now, the book has a lot to say about race and racism, and I want to dig more into that in a later segment. But I do think it seriously falls down on not being more critical of Grady. Now, the book was written in the 80s, and as we discussed in our Black Klansman episode, we know that they weren't really take, maybe taking the Klan super seriously yeah, at true. that point. It was point much more of like a kind of history. farcical. Yeah, like, like we were kind of laughing at them yeah. at that point in time. But dude's still a literal Klansman, and yeah. that hits a lot different in 2020. Yeah, yeah. And a literal Klansman in a time where the Klan was... Was active. Was active and, and, and yeah. like lynching people and doing horrible shit. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to like... Because it's written from the perspective of the 80s or whatever, where people in the clan were, were kind of a, just a joke. Like, it was a joke yeah. in general. And, like, people that were in there, like, they weren't... It, I'm not saying they weren't active at all, but, like, it was it dwindled down and it was, like, everybody viewed them as a joke in general. Most people did, at least. Yeah. If you and, go back and listen to our Black Klansman yeah. episode, we talk a lot about how the clan was perceived during yeah. that time period. That's what that book is said. Yeah, but... And so if you're writing something based in the 80s and you're kind of taking a more that sort of view of yes. the clan, it's at least a little more understandable, whereas you're writing something in the 80s and you're and you're talking about characters set in a period where the clan was incredibly active right. and was incredibly deadly and horrible. Right, and like, threat. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit different. And I, I completely agree that it does feel like... The movie never it's one thing to have a character like that have some good qualities and just be like, yo, complex, like people are complex. You can be racist and have other good qualities. But like the movie never the movie seems to completely just be like, well, but he's not that it's not that big a deal that he's racist. Not like it is a big deal that he's racist. Also, it's oh look, he's good in this way, but he's also a massive racist racist and that's bad. It just it doesn't do that. It just kind of goes like, no, look at he's a no, he's a good old he's a good old boy. Yeah, he's- the book is kind of similar. Like, like I said, I do think the message is supposed to be people are complicated, yeah. but the book kind of just like presents that and is like, make of it what you will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Frank dies, and uh, in the movie, the way this is presented is we don't know what happened. Frank gets hit in the head with something falls down and then we kind of cut to the next day and we don't, we don't find out what happened to Frank uh, then. 
And uh, but after that, there's these scenes where the the sheriff Smoot shows up the next day or whatever, looking for Frank. And there's like these very poignant, lingering shots on uh, uh, George barbecuing mm-hmm. and like stirring the the pot that I guess he boils bones. I don't even know what that is. There's like a, some pot that he boils something in, but he also is like cutting up meat and grilling meat. I mean, it cuts directly to the a shot of George chopping meat on a like a block mm-hmm. um, while the the uh, his daughter, I think, is it his daughter that's watching? Oh, the little girl. Yeah. Yeah, I think, the, yes, I think that's supposed to be there. Because Sipsy's his mom. Yeah, they do have a daughter in the book, um, and I don't think they ever actually, like, name her in the movie. Yeah, she's just I, kind I of would, around. I, I would I assume that's who that character yeah. is supposed to be. Yeah. Um. Anyways, and she's, so, like, it's very, and, and I was, like, was getting this, like, wait, is this movie trying to imply that they cooked and and fed him to, like, people? Uh, and so then later we find out that is exactly what happened. And we'll talk about that decision to reveal that in a minute here. But, uh, I want to know if that feeding Frank to people was from the book. Oh yeah. They definitely cooked Frank then fed him to the detectives from Alabama, from Georgia, (laughs) if not the whole town. Yeah. Because they have to go ahead and slaughter all the pigs to cover their tracks. Yeah, that's not mentioned in the movie necessarily. And I don't know how you could possibly keep all that meat separate. I mean, I guess, well, and, and, a, and a human's worth of meat is more than one person's meal. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. It's... A, whole, a whole ass human worth of meat. Yeah, that's, that. you know, that, and Frank's not a small guy. Right. <laughs> like he's not a child or something. He's, yeah, he's, a, he's like a six foot dude with a, some meat on his bones. He's going to, yeah. I I don't know. Yeah. And and there is uh, and this is maybe an instance of ethical cannibalism. Although to be fair, there is <laughs> I mean I look, I'm not saying I'm pro cannibalism, but if you want to hear very compelling pro cannibalism arguments, go check out Embrace the Void or Philosophers in Space cuz Aaron uh Rabinovitz makes some incredibly convincing pro cannibalism arguments, ethical cannibalism. But uh, <laughs> I will say that I I I think there's it can cause health issues depending on now they not that they would know that right at the time, but there are definitely or at least from like brains and stuff, which they probably wouldn't feed the brains anyways. But uh, I know there can be issues with like um, consuming certain parts of mm. or of human at all. It, it can cause health issues, I believe, is what I've I remember reading or like, something. If you just have it the one time or from, I think like, sustained I think it's way less likely. I think it's way less likely if you do it, like, one time in the sense that it's, like, uh, it's, like, rare or I don't know. I'm completely speculating. <laughs> but I believe there are, rare, there are conditions that can be caused. And I'm sure, yes, one time would be much less likely to cause any issues. Uh, but I do know that it can be an issue. Anyways. Well, you know... Not that I'll advocate for cannibalism, <laughs> but I think if you're gonna make it a pig. What? Make it a wife-beating pig. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. Um, also, I I will say it's one thing to feed him to, like, maybe that one racist sheriff <laughs> and, like, or eat him yourself. It's another thing to feed a human to people who don't know who are just innocent people. <laughs> That's... Yeah, there's some consent issues there that I feel like are very problematic. I mean, it never specifically says True. that they fed him. To they the could have just ate him. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I don't know how you could keep all that meat separate. 
I think it wouldn't be too hard to be like, okay, well, this is the human pile of meat and this is the <laughs> pig pile of meat, but I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, uh, so later on in the movie, there's this moment uh, where, and it kind of felt like a movie moment, which is why I ask, because uh, it's very much like a, a trailer moment type of thing where Evelyn is at the grocery store and this is after she's been talking to Edgy for a long time and she's sort of coming into her own, finding her womanhood, her Tawanda. Mm-hmm. Her confidence. Yes. And uh, somebody steals, the these gr- young girls steal a parking spot from her at the grocery store and she ends up just like ramming their car over and over and over again and uh, yelling at them and driving off. Is that in the book? Yes. That is beat for beat from the book, including... The exchange of dialogue. Oh, where they're like the girls. The girls are like we're younger, we're younger and, and faster. faster. And then she's like, "I'm older and have more insurance." <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. I thought her line worked in response to theirs. I thought their line felt goofy, goofy and contrived. Yeah. We're younger and we're fat. Nobody would say that to anybody. <laughs> okay, sure. Maybe in the 80s. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so uh, eventually Ruth has a child. Um, it's Frank's uh, child. Even though she has now left Frank, uh, she ends up having a baby. Um, and and uh, like this is after Frank has been killed. Uh, who would he, he was killed because he came and tried to steal the baby from her. Right. And uh, the baby's now like five. The kid's five now. His yeah. name's Buddy. And uh, kind of in a callback to Buddy from the beginning, uh, he's on the train tracks and um, gets hit by a train and gets his arm knocked off. Uh, and there's a, it's a fun reveal in the movie where you think he died. Uh-huh. And I, I guess we could talk about it, whether or not that reveal like that is in the book. Is that because in the same way, I actually didn't think Buddy had died in the beginning because they make it look like he gets away mm-hmm. like like we see him he's trying to untie his shoe and he kind of gets his shoe out and it looks like he dives out of the way but it turns out no he didn't he got hit by the train still i guess yeah um but in this one we we kind of don't see what happens to buddy jr and then he's being carried to the hospital uh by george and he's bleeding and then it cuts and we see a tombstone that says buddy jr and it has like the years on it and then the camera pulls back and then under it it says arm or whatever like yeah. his arm he realizes his arm is that is there like a reveal like that in the book um there's not a reveal like that uh but he does lose his arm in a train accident and, and they, they, they do have a funeral for okay. it that's a fun little moment in the yeah. movie that like reveal it adds some humor from what you thought was going to be another very sad situation does the preacher so they live in this town where there's this one preacher that Iggy has kind of been in a a tiff with throughout the course of the movie like she's not she's not a churchgoer mm-hmm. and she kind of yells at him yeah she gives him window. some trouble yeah and uh but now she's on trial for murder um Iggy and george have been arrested and charged with the murder murder of frank because they found frank's car they don't have a body or anything but they think they they, they kind of have yeah, they circumstantial have, evidence yeah that, they have some testimony of that Iggy had threatened to yes. kill frank yeah and uh, so they call up the witness, though, that is this this preacher, um, and he testifies that they had a, a revival that night and that they were there. And so mm-hmm. they couldn't have died. Um, but he goes to testify and they're and they're, they like have him swear on the Bible. And he says he brought his own Bible. And at first I was like, motherfucker brought his own Bible. That's oof, that's obnoxious because I thought he was going to testify. And it's a fun reversal because I think that's what the movie's doing is I was like, I already didn't like him. And then it makes you think he's going to testify against them. 
but he ends up kind of being their savior essentially and like mm-hmm. uh testifying for them um and it turns out later they say that he it was moby dick like they didn't inspect the, the bible he brought so he was able to kind of stretch the truth a little bit on during his testimony is that what happens in the book it is mentioned that he brought his own Bible, but they never say that it was actually Moby Dick. And I did think that was a fun change. Okay. Did he... Is it is the same thing play out, though, where he kind of is like the star yeah, witness? That, yeah, he's like the star witness, and he comes in, and Iggy's like, oh, shit. And then he... But so she thinks yeah. the same thing, that he's going to, like, yeah, and then sell he her out. testifies in their favor. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, there, she's free, blah, 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 happiness, uh, and then Ruth gets cancer. <laughs> Basically. Uh, it kind of goes immediately into that. Uh, they talk about they live their lives together for a little bit longer, and then Ruth ends up coming down with, like, stage eight cancer, basically, <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, and she's dying. Uh, and there's this truly heartbreaking and just completely beautiful scene in the movie um, where Ruth is laying in bed, and she's, you know, literally at death's door here. And uh, she asked Iggy to tell her story because Iggy's kind of like a, like a Huck Finn or is that the right Tom Sawyer? Yeah. You know, like type yeah. of like you know. She's a teller of tall tales. Teller of tall tales. Isn't Tom Sawyer that does that. Yeah, I, I don't know. So. I don't know. Um, and so she, uh, Ruth's like, tell me a story, and she's like, I don't know. You know they're all made up, and she goes, oh, it's fine. Um, and Ruth tells her this, or Iggy tells her this story that we heard her tell earlier uh, about these geese in a lake. Um, and, but the, in particular in the movie, uh, Ruth's laying there in bed and it's, it hangs on a wide shot from behind Ruth's bed. And we see Iggy walk into the other room and kind of stand at the window telling the story. And you can like, her voice is kind of breaking as she knows what's happening. And then she finishes the story and comes back and Ruth has died. Um, and it's really, really well done scene. Super just beautiful and sad. Does that scene happen in the book? It's not in the book. I did think that giving them this goodbye scene was a good change, though. Yeah, I think giving them the scene's a good change in the way the movie chose to do it. Yeah. With that one single, it's wall one take, single shot, wide shot. Iggy walks away from the camera and stays over there because she can't be there, but is still there. It's ugh, it's so heartbreaking and so good. So, uh, Ruth has now died. Um, this is like the last story that Evelyn heard from um ninny basically and ruth go, or evelyn goes back one more time to the nursing home to visit ninny and she comes into ninny's room and there's a nurse in there ripping all the stuff off the wall mm-hmm. and she's like what what happened and she's like well she died she's like she's dead she goes yep died this morning and then it turns out though this is a big misunderstanding she didn't die uh ninny didn't die mrs otis died who was the friend of ninny that Ninny was in the nursing home with mm-hmm. to like take care of, help, kind of yeah. They were be like with. roommates. Yeah, they were like roommates, I guess. But we never see Mrs. Otis in no. the movie, not once. We no. see her daughter. Yes, we never see her. Uh, and then it turns out it's big misunderstanding. Ninny's alive. She went home. Oh no! But her home was destroyed. <laughs> so this is sad. And Evelyn has to go run and you know catch her because she wants her to move. Evelyn wants Ninny to move in with her. Does that weird misunderstanding that, like, whoa, she's dead, she's not dead happen in the book? Uh, no, Ninny actually does die in the book. Oh, that's a big change. Yeah. Ninny does not die in the movie. No, she does in the book, though. Not during the course of the movie. I mean, she's... I mean, I, she would die eventually, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah. 
Interesting. Okay. Because, yeah, I thought that was a, I don't know, that felt a bit like a movie sort of twists mm-hmm. type of like, oh, no, she's dead. Now she's not dead. Like, what is going on here? So she just dies. Yeah, she just dies. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, so then this is the thing I, t- I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about is that in the movie, after this happens, uh, she run- Evelyn leaves and she finds Ninny at her, her old home in Whistle Stop, um, sort of upset and sad that, you know, her home uh, was demolished, essentially. Um, and she asks Ninny, or she's talking to her, and Ninny says, well, let me tell you a story I never, you know, did I never told any, or Iggy told me what happened um, the night Frank died, and she never, you know, I've never told anybody else this. And she tells her the story of how Frank died, and it turns out that Sipsy killed him on accident. I mean, just hit him with a frying pan trying to, like, stop him. Yeah, trying to stop him. And uh, he ended up dying or whatever. And then, yeah, this is where we find out that they cooked him and all that sort of stuff. And I really wish in this moment in the movie that they hadn't... I think it works fine as is, telling us what happened that night and kind of going back and reenacting it all. But I actually really liked the idea in the movie that... We just kind of kept it. If we had just kept it mm-hmm. a mystery to some extent, you know, like we know one of them, we know either Iggy or George or somebody, you know, mm-hmm. killed him or on accident or on purpose or whatever. And then they all just kind of covered it up and they just never talked about it again. Like, I felt like that was fine. Like, I feel like I didn't need to go back and relive the whole night and see who, oh, it was Sipsy. Well, you know, like it was it wasn't bad. I didn't dislike it but I would have been fine with them not telling us. Does the book tell us, like, the whole mystery? Yeah, we do eventually learn that it was Sipsy who killed Frank with her frying pan in the book. Okay. Um, Interesting change from the book to the movie. Uh, In the movie, they run and get Big George and Edgy. In the book, it's just Big George. And they don't, they, like, take care of the whole thing, and they never actually tell Edgy. Yeah, she doesn't ever actually know. Interesting. So um, when she gets put on trial, then what is she, she? Does she have any idea why she's on? Like, one would assume not. That's wild, huh? Okay, that feels like it makes sense in the movie then that she is at least in on it and knows. Mm-hmm. Because if she's gonna go on trial for it, like, I don't know, or maybe in the book, maybe there is like an implication that she knows they did something, or but like just suspects, doesn't, maybe. but just doesn't want to sell yeah. them out. Obviously, okay. I guess that could work. And I mean, I I think it would be interesting if we never found out. I wonder if that would work better in the movie than it would in the book. Um, In the book, I do think there is maybe some, like, commentary through that. Well, because here's the thing. I assumed in the movie that it was George Uh before we found out. Because he was there, like, well, at least from the way the movie shows it the first time, is that he comes to get Edgy, and he's like, you gotta come. And that made me think that he, because he, maybe he was there and hit him, and right. then now he came to get Edgy, like, we gotta do something about this. Like, that made sense to yeah. me. And then th- that still has the same commentary on her being quiet about the whole thing, and, you know, wanting to not sell him out. Because there's even the conversation with Grady about how, like, you know, you could just disappear and uh, just let George take the fall for this. You know, they'd be fine just killing him. Yeah. And, you know, she won't do that. And, and there's definitely commentary there about the, you know, the justice system. And, the, and, and, and they have a whole discussion about it in the movie about how <laughs> they're not going to believe 
us, you know, if, mm-hmm. if uh, she's like, well, we can testify that he was attacking, you know, and it was just self-defense. And they're like, hey, they're not going to believe a hobo and, you know, two black people in 1930s Alabama or whatever. And uh, so there's definitely commentary in the movie, even if you didn't reveal who it was, I don't think. Yeah. But I don't disagree that there's more, particularly. Yeah. If you do kind of go through it all. I don't know. I got what I needed from it, I felt like, without the movie having to tell me exactly what happened and show exactly what happened. I still got all the same stuff out of it, I felt like. Although I will say, I will add that I did like when it went, when it ended up being Sipsy, I did like that it added this element of, which was still would have been true with George, but of Iggy's sort of um, found family, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. coming to her defense, like mm-hmm. Smokey, uh, what's his, whatever. <laughs> Smokey Lonesome. Smokey Lonesome. I keep wanting to call him Smokey Ransom now. Uh, Smoky Lonesome, like trying to stop him. Um, who's this guy? You know, just some random drifter who she kind of took in and, and helped. Uh, and Sipsy and, and or who were like their help essentially. Who, um, who but who have clearly become like members of their family or mm-hmm. of her of Iggy's family essentially. And she treats them like family members and not like the help. Um, and I liked that moment when we find out that it was Sipsy. It it sort of feels like this like moment of like community um solidarity mm-hmm. in sort of defeating the fucking evil white man that yeah. felt good <laughs> like you know what i mean like it felt good and empowering and i was like happy about it but i i still felt similarly without seeing it but the mo- i didn't i did like that aspect of it when it turned out to be sipsy it felt like a little bit more of like a avengers assemble moment <laughs> like <laughs> Like, they're all, the gang's all here. Um, I don't know. All right, last question. Um, I had this question early, and I originally had it in Lost in Adaptation, is that, so Ninny is telling all these stories in the nursing home. And at first, it's like stories where I assume she was had heard about it or or whatever, but then eventually she starts telling these stories, and, and we're seeing these things play out. And it's like one-on-one conversations with... <laughs> with uh Iggy and Ruth and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, how does she know what is going on with their relation? What is going on here? And then I was like, Oh, wait a second. Iggy is Ninny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's definitely what it is. Um, and that's how she knows. And then I was like, then we find out later, Ninny tells the story about how she had a child, um, who lived with her for 30 years until he passed away. And I was like, well, we never saw that child in any of these stories. But also, (laughs) there's never any ninny in any of the stories. Uh We never see a ninny like Threadgood. We never see a character named Ninny Threadgood in any of these stories, who's apparently the sister or whatever of of all these other Threadgoods. And we see a bunch of other Threadgoods, but we never see any. And I was like, okay. Who I don't know, and it feels like this big, like sort of uh, Kaiser Sose moment is <laughs> Nenny Iggy in the book because she <laughs> she definitely is in the movie. That's a question. In the book, Nenny and Iggy are definitely two different people. Okay. Nenny is one of Iggy's sisters-in-law. Oh, so she's an in-law. Yeah, she's an okay. in-law, uh, and she we do see her in the background occasionally when we're in Whistle Stop. 
Um, how Nini knows all of this stuff isn't really an issue in the book because the book employs a lot of different narrative styles. Um, okay. In the sections where we're directly following Iggy or other characters, the narrative perspective shifts from Evelyn's limited third person to like an omniscient third person. So you don't really question it. The movie definitely implies that Nini and Iggy are the same yes. person. To what end, I'm not sure. I think it's muddled by Nini telling Evelyn that she had a son, which she does in the book. But if Nini is Iggy, then like, what do we make of that? Are we to assume that Iggy eventually did marry a man and have a child? Because I don't like that. Yeah. Or should we assume that Nini slash Iggy was like lying or confused? I, it's just puzzling to me because the movie could have pulled the whole thing off perfectly by just having not having Nini mention being married or having yeah. a baby. Yeah, that was the part that made it really weird to me was yeah. when she says she had a kid. And not only like, oh, I had a kid, like goes into explicit detail about the child and how long they were together yeah. felt like, okay, what is this? And like, I totally agree that in the movie where the frame story is much more direct than it is in the book, it does make sense to like wink, wink, imply that Nini was edgy the whole time and they could have pulled it off. But, like, I don't know. I think it still works. I do agree that it is weird to imply that Iggy went on and married a guy and had a kid. Yeah. Because that is what is implied. And it would, timeline-wise, still work out. Because Ruth dies in, like, her 30s. Sure. So she had plenty of time. She's still, like, uh, Iggy was still plenty young. She could have. But I do agree that it doesn't really make sense with her character. Yeah. Like, that she would yeah. for any real reason um, that I could think of. And I, I was trying to think if there was some other explanation for that story of, like... But there's never any other hint. I was looking... I kept looking after that moment for, like, a hint of what that story may have... Like, the kernel of truth for that story may have been. Like, had it been some other kid that she, like, adopted. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like... If there had been some other little reference yeah. to some kid she may have raised, who, but like wasn't like her son from like a marriage to a husband or something. I don't know. Because, yeah, it doesn't really work for her character to like after Ruth dies, be like, well, I guess I'll just go marry a dude now. doesn't feel like what she no. would do. <laughs> like, doesn't seem like what she's about. No. Uh, so I agree with that. But it definitely is clear in the movie that it that ninny is itchy yeah like absolutely and the way the narrative plays out with the way that transitions from her storytelling into their um uh ninny and itchy or ruth and it's names ruth and itchy's um <laughs> relationship implies like she's telling the story of their relationship mm-hmm. which then does and there's a very knowing uh look shared between evelyn and ninny at the end after they visit the grave of Ruth and they kind of look at it, she like looks at her and she's like, like sees the note and stuff, the beekeeper note. Yeah. And she's like, Ninny's alive or Iggy's alive. God. Yes. And she's Ninny. Yeah. And they like look at each other and like, okay. But yeah, the, the, the child just leave that scene out. Yeah. That's what well, they so mean. That's what weird. puzzles me. Just like, just don't mention it. It's so weird. Why would they put that in there? I don't know. It's just something from, it's from the book. Yeah. I guess it's supposed to, like, throw us off. 
I yeah. Don't know. But then it implies that she's either lying, just yeah. making that up whole cloth is like senile and, yeah. or something, or it's which is my favorite explanation is it's a a a reference to a truth like a kernel of truth that again like she adopted a kid mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. that we never saw in the movie but that's what she's talking about there and she just says she had a kid i don't know why but to kind of hide her who she is which again i don't know why she's hiding her identity there's no reason for her yeah to hide there's her no identity, reason for which is why it gets weird is like what's the reason for this like subterfuge like again it's like a kaiser soze moment but in that it makes sense because kaiser soze is like hiding from the cops she's not hiding and that was what i was thinking when she got off for the murder yeah. i was like Wait a second now, because I was I like, maybe she was going to yes. go into hiding as Ninny. Yes. No, I straight up <laughs> thought she was going to get convicted oh and God. escape. Well, that, that makes perfect sense, That's though. That's an amazing plot line. That makes perfect sense, though. Yeah. If she had been convicted, escaped, mm-hmm. and then lived as Ninny from then on or something like yeah. that. Or, so, you know, and I know timeline wise with her relationship with Ruth and Ruth dying after that it doesn't really make you'd have to move things around but that's what I had assumed was going to happen during the trial before I knew how the rest of the movie was going to go because I had already at that point I was already like okay well Iggy is definitely Ninny oh she's gonna have to like change her name and mm-hmm. live in hiding mm-hmm. which would make sense for her something she would do mm-hmm. and if she got convicted yeah I was like that all totally makes sense and then she got off for the murder and I was like wait what is <laughs> what's happening <laughs> anyways it's very confusing all right, let's go ahead and talk about what we lost in adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Wow, a lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. What are the ages? The ages were so confusing. Let's talk about what age Ruth and Iggy are mainly. Those are the two that I found most confusing. In the first time we see them, Iggy seems to be a little kid. Like... Mm-hmm. Six. <laughs> she seems pretty young. Like five, six, a seven. I don't even know. Under ten. Well under ten. <laughs> and Ruth seems to be a teenager because she's like courting Buddy. Uh-huh. Or they're like, you know, flirting. They're, they're canoodling. They're canoodling. And so she seems to be like at least 13, 14 uh-huh. in that range. So I'm thinking there's at least a, like an eight, seven, eight, nine year <laughs> age difference here. And then after Buddy dies, and then we cut back to them the next time, Iggy is now 13, 14, and Ruth is still 13 or four. <laughs> looks, I, she's clearly older, but she looks the exact, because it's the same actress, and yeah. she looks the exact same. Yeah. Uh, so and I was like, what is going on here? I had the same question while I was watching the movie. Uh, luckily, I can provide some concrete answers okay, here. Okay, thank God. In the book... Ruth never dates or even meets Buddy. Okay. Uh, he's has already died by the time she comes into the picture. Uh, so Iggy is around like 12 or 13 when Buddy dies, and then she's about 15 or 16 when Ruth shows up. And they say that Ruth is around 21 or 22. Okay. So in the book, it's an age difference of about six years. I'm not really sure what the movie is exactly doing. Like... Unless Iggy in the movie is supposed to be like 10 or 11 and Ruth is like 13 or 14, I feel like that's possible. Puberty hits everyone different. But she does look so much younger in those initial scenes. Okay, so let's go on your numbers from the book. Ruth is 21 when she shows up the second time. 
or in the movie the second time. Um, and then Iggy is 15. That's a six year difference. Let's move that back to the girl. So when Buddy dies, if if Edgy, if Ruth was like 13, let's move that back eight years. That would make Iggy seven. I guess that works. Yeah, I guess it works. 13 and seven. I guess they could have been. But I guess the thing is that Ruth doesn't look like she has gone from 13 to 21 no. in the movie. She looks like she's gone from 14 to 15, yeah. <laughs> 14 to 16 or something. Which is good for her. And it's the exact, you know what it is? It's the exact same issue as from the Star Wars prequels. We're in episode one. And I get I get that, like, you know, women tend to hit once they hit puberty, you know, right. you hit it early and then they stay kind of, you know, but. It was like in, in the prequels where in episode one, Anakin's like a little kid. Yeah. And 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 uh, uh, Padme, uh, played by um, Natalie, Portman. Natalie Portman, is, yeah, she's like a teenager. And then in the next movie, they're, like it's, both, they're, they're both, both teenagers. teenagers. It's like yeah. the exact same thing. It's like, what? okay. And again, I get the idea that, you know, he, she has already gone through pu- puberty and this kid hasn't. And then that kid goes through puberty and they have only aged, you know. They've already gone through puberty, so they don't change that much. I get it. It just feels weird. I was like, what? Uh, they don't feel like they're the right ages. Okay. So when Iggy dies, there's a scene in the Ruth, movie. When Ruth dies. Iggy doesn't die in the movie. When Ruth dies in the movie uh, from cancer, uh, there's a scene where Sipsy goes around, and uh, she, at one thing she does is she covers, I, I assumed it was a mirror. There's like a picture, but it mm-hmm. looked like there was a mirror under it, and she like covers it with a blanket. And I was like, is, I don't know if that's a thing. Was it in the book? Is like, is this an old tradition that I'm unaware of? All right. So that's not in the book, but I do think I can help here. Sweet. Covering the mirror when someone died is a long held tradition in a lot of religions and cultures, uh, including Judaism, Islam, some Asian cultures, uh, and to some extent, Southern black and Creole culture. It was also a common thing to do during the Victorian era. Stopping the clock was also a Victorian Mm. thing. They were obsessed with death. God bless their hearts. Uh, Some traditions cover the mirror to discourage vanity while you're supposed to be in mourning. Um, For others, the reason was more spiritual, like to stop the soul from seeing the body or to stop it from seeing its own reflection so that it didn't become confused as it crossed over Mm. into the afterlife. Um, I will say that the book mentions fairly often that Sipsy is superstitious, which we should note is a stereotype of black people. Um, Lots so, of people were superstitious back then. Though. I mean, I, I know that. Still are, but yes, but no, it is like yes. specifically a, a stereotype. Yes, for sure. Uh, so I, I wonder if this was the movie's way of acknowledging that. But also, like, given the history of that tradition, I think it makes sense for the time period and the geographical location. So Yeah. My, my thought, my initial thought was, like, they covered the mirror because they didn't want the souls to get, like, trapped in the mirror. Like, sucked into the mirror yeah, world. Yeah, like, you might somehow Terrifying. get, like, yeah, like, like the soul might get, like, oh, where's that? You know, like, go into the mirror and then get stuck in there or something. I don't know. That was my potential idea for why that <laughs> happened. But cool. Uh, that was interesting. All right, let's go ahead. It's time. Better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right. So right off the bat, in the book, 
Ed and Evelyn are going to visit his mother in the nursing home. And Evelyn doesn't like to sit with them because all they do is watch TV for hours on end. And the movie changes that to Ed's aunt violently rejecting Evelyn. Yeah. She like Evelyn tries to like come in the room and she like throws things at her and yells. And I get the movie wanting something that requires a less nuanced explanation for why Evelyn isn't visiting with them. Yeah. But I like the book's version, partly because it rings true for me in experiences that I've had with relatives of relatives. Yeah. Where you like dread going over there because like all you're gonna do is sit and watch like channel five or something. And they don't even have cable or anything. Um, but I also like it because I think it's much sadder that they apparently just like don't care if she's around or not. I think it also um, it sort of echoes back to the the uh, Evelyn and Ed's Ed right is that yeah. his name their relationship and the stagnation of their relationship uh, sort of giving us a place of maybe where that comes from a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Because that you know, like that's one of her big problems with him is that he just gets home and immediately goes and watches TV every night and just ignores her like the yeah. entire time. Um, and they don't, you know, they don't do anything together or anything. Um, and I think it kind of would echo that. So I, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And like I said, I get wanting something that was just like a easy visual explanation. Right. Like I understand it. Yeah. Um, but I do think the book's version is more nuanced and interesting. We talk about this a lot. On this show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the book benefits a lot, I think, from being in Evelyn's head and understanding just how discontent she is and how out of place she feels. I think it comes through okay in the movie. But the book provides an interesting and detailed look at how cheated this woman feels by having done everything quote unquote right as like a good woman and a good girl and she still ends up unhappy mm-hmm. and she's not just unhappy with her marriage in the book she's like depressed to the point of suicidal ideations like it, it gets very dark at times in the book we don't get that far in the movie but there is the implication in several conversations that it is more than just her marriage like she yeah. does talk yeah. about feeling sort of directionless and and just not you know just like, what am I even doing? Like, mm-hmm. she does get beyond just unhappy with her marriage. Yeah. But obviously, yeah, but it sounds like not to the same extent that the book does. Um, on a lighter note, a lot of the sections, the earlier sections, it gets sadder as the book goes on. But a lot of the earlier sections about Whistle Stop drop like kitschy little small town tidbits that are just oh. fun. Uh, one of which is that the Threadgood kids had a pet raccoon nice. at one point. Um, there's also a mention of um, a traveling salesman who came through and uh, took a, a bunch of the women for a ride by selling them sewing machines that were supposed to be blessed <laughs> and would, like, turn out perfect garments every time. <laughs> Just, like, you know, that kind of, like, kooky stuff. Like music man peppered throughout yeah <laughs> he's the sewing machine man yeah um, when Iggy spies on ruth's wedding in the book which they they show a, a second of that in the movie they show her like watching from afar um, but in the book she gets drunk and lays on her car horn during the wedding <laughs> just like wails on that car horn um, I'm actually kind of astonished that that didn't make it in yeah. because that would have been a great, like, quick but impactful scene. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a fun little gag. Mm-hmm. It's surprising they didn't put that in. 
when Iggy finds out that Frank beats Ruth, uh, she busts into a, the barber shop because Frank is in the barber shop at the time that she finds out, and she threatens him as he's getting a shave and then knocks a bunch of stuff off the shelves and rushes back out. And the barber's like, who was that angry boy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I kind of hate that the movie added Grady having a crush on Edgy. It's not like a major plot point or anything, but I kind of hated it. Yeah. Um, one of the best things about the book is that everyone just accepts Iggy as she is. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's it. That's just Iggy. Ah, what are you going to do? Yeah. It, uh, it, I mean, it, there's like, it trails off really quick in the movie. Pretty, yeah. pretty quickly. It's like that one of some of the initial scenes with Grady. And then after that, it doesn't really come up ever again, other than him mm-hmm. just being around. Um, but yeah, and I think apart from him being into her, everybody else Yeah, does. I think apart from that, it's more yeah, similar to the Everybody book. else does just kind of like, be like... I oh. also just didn't like Grady, so... That's fair. That's fair. Least favorite character. <laughs> uh, after Evelyn starts taking hormones in the book, uh, she takes hormones for menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, but after she starts taking them, she has... A massive orgasm, according to the text. Is that the wording? <laughs> yes. Used? She massive says she has orgasm? a massive orgasm. Um, I suppose that would have upped the rating. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if they could have shown that. In the... No, they might have been able to get away with the PG-13. This is right around the time of... Um, although, but I guess maybe it would make a difference if it was actually during a sexual moment. Because what mm-hmm. you call it... Um, the, the Billy Crystal, uh, oh, Meg when Ryan. Harry met Sally, yeah, but but she's not actually, she's not actually, she's not actually having, having an, orgasm. an orgasm, so that maybe the ratings are weird enough that that changes it. I could see, so yeah, yeah. And my last interesting thing, uh, was that so the this this book spans like decades, um, and like three decades after Frank is murdered, some construction workers find his skull buried <laughs> in the ground. And they're like, a pig skull. And then they're like, have you ever seen a pig with a glass eye, though? Have you ever seen a pig's... Pig skulls don't look like human skulls? Okay, well, that's just what's in the book. I know. Just... I, can't, I, I can't vouch for I... the ability of these construction workers to identify skulls. <laughs> I love the idea that they're like... They find it and they're like, oh, look, a pig skull. And then one of them is like, but it's got a glass eye. It's like, it's also doesn't, that's not, (laughs) pig skulls don't, I mean, they might look a little similar, but not, not that similar. I mean, I would love to be proven wrong, but I am fairly certain that I'm just gonna Google pig, pig skull skulls right don't now. look anything like human skulls. Because I don't think I've ever actually seen a pig skull. They must have more of a, oh, a no, muzzle. That, that doesn't yeah, look anything like a like, human skull. Uh, must have like more of a muzzle, right? Unless like Frank a, was very deformed. It looks like a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't look anything. Dear like, listener, I know you have a device nearby you right now. Yeah. Please Google pig skull and there's gaze upon how much it does not no look like way. a human skull. I was about to say, there's more, it looks like pig skulls got to look like dog skulls or, you know, something In like that. In all fairness, I think one of them was high at the time. Nice. Dude, if I was a construction worker, it would be high all the time. <laughs> All right, that was all we had for Better in the Book. Let's go ahead and talk about what's better in the movie. My life has taught me one 
lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I liked that the movie started with Evelyn and Ed getting lost and stopping in Whistle Stop to try to figure out where they were. I thought it was a fun, like, tease. Oh, a little call forward, yeah. yeah. I thought having Ruth and Buddy be together was a change that made sense. Uh, in the book, Ruth comes to, like, help. She's, like, a, a the daughter of a friend of Iggy's mother, and she comes to, like, help run the Sunday school or something like that. I think that's what happens in the movie, too. I think they Yeah, like, when that. she comes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when she comes back. Uh, but I, I, th- I thought initially, like, having them be an item made a lot of sense. Yeah. And I thought then having them actually see Buddy get killed was gut wrenching. Yeah. Um, and it, and that adds like that adds a layer to their relationship too. They yeah, went for through sure. a shared trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. At a young age. Yeah. Yeah. I loved Ninny's converse with her house coat. There's a really brief shot of her sitting down in the nursing home, and she has like converse high tops. Oh, does and, she? Like, I miss crazy that. socks. <laughs> With her, like, old lady house yeah, coat. I miss that. I loved Iggy when she, the first time she meets Frank, like, before we know that he's Frank. Who he is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says that she, like, looks lovely today yeah, or, like, something. Pretty or something. And she's like, are you a politician or does lying <laughs> just run in your family? Got, Got him. <laughs> I also liked getting to see Ruth and Iggy's relationship develop. We get a lot more of, like, one-on-one time with them in the movie than we do in the book. I particularly also liked the scene where Iggy gets Ruth drunk and they play baseball. Yeah. And then they go swimming and yeah. Ruth kisses Iggy on the cheek. Oh, uh, that was cute. Just, like, A-plus yeah, chef's kiss cute. stuff. Uh, I liked that Iggy actually sees Ruth's black eye. In the book, she hears second hand from somebody in mm, town yeah. that Frank is a wife beater and like flips her shit and runs into the barber shop. Um, but I thought it was more impactful to have her actually see Ruth mm-hmm. injured. And I thought the scene where they go get Ruth was a lot more dramatic mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, it plays out similarly, except that in the book, Frank is just kind of like dumbfounded and like just watches them go. Yeah. Um, whereas in the movie, he like, tries to like he physically like tries her, to yeah. stop her and yeah. pushes her down the stairs yeah, and, and they gotta threaten him yeah <laughs> um i i forgot to double check this so it might actually be in the book but i think i would have made a note about it because it's funny <laughs> yeah uh when evelyn says to ninny i can't even look at my vagina and ninny's like well honey i can't help you with that <laughs> yeah, it's a good line <laughs> It's a good line. And just uh, Jessica Tandy is fantastic in this yeah. movie. Uh, the yeah. woman who plays uh, Ninny. She's a delight. She does so good. And she was like eight. She only died a few years after this movie came out. This mm-hmm. movie came out in like 91 and she died in like 94. She was like in her mid 80s or something mm-hmm. like that at the time. And uh, I was really impressed with how, you know. I don't know. It's just not that not that there aren't plenty of actors who are and actresses who are incredibly good into their old age, but it's she was very I don't know charismatic in a way that I I, I found um, very endearing and mm-hmm. was one of the things that made the movie work really well. Yeah, and I think that's good too because her character needs to be really endearing. Yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of depressing. Yeah. No, it is. A, I mean, it's a it's a it's it a is, sad but movie. Yeah. But 
it's a sad but hopeful, you know, kind of, it's, yeah, it's one of those mm-hmm. kind of movies. I really liked Ruth and Edgy's food fight. Yeah, it was movie. cute. It's a cute scene. Um, and then the scene with the clan, when the clan shows up at the cafe, uh, it had much higher stakes in the movie. In the book, the clan members just like stand outside the cafe. And then Grady goes outside and, like, shoes them off. Yeah. Uh, There were a couple things in the book. Um, One thing I liked was that, uh, so Frank is there, but he doesn't actually reveal himself like he does in Mm. the movie. Um, But Ruth recognizes him by his shoes, which ties (laughs) in. Everybody can recognize each other by their shoes. Because they're all stupid and they don't change their shoes. Um, But I I liked that because it does tie in with what Iggy said earlier about recognizing them by their shoes um there's also this ridiculous line in the book that i loved because it was so ridiculous about the georgia clan knowing better than to mess with the alabama clan got like clan turf wars out here good lord i liked that the movie showed the georgia detective questioning big george uh, in the book, it says that they just didn't bother questioning him, which I guess makes sense for yeah. the time period. Um, but I did think it was a, a a sombering and impactful scene. Yeah, and his parting line to him is incredibly like, ugh. I yeah. mean, it's just reinforcing sort of because um, before the moment where he's um, interrogating Big George, he doesn't. We don't know. I mean, we can assume he's racist because it's the 1930s, yeah, in <laughs> Southern America. Um, but, uh, his parting line to Big George is haunting and I'm, I'm obviously not going to repeat it, but it's terrifying and yeah. sad <laughs> and, and yeah, really, uh, really put, uh, sort of highlights the, um, the situation they were in. Mm-hmm. I also like that Sipsy is wearing Frank's shoes after they kill him. I think that was the implication anyway. They show her walking in the cafe and she's like shuffling in like two big shoes. I, I missed that completely. Yeah. Uh, it's the depression. You don't waste good no, shoes. No, absolutely not. And the yeah. shoes were the best part of Frank. Yeah, for sure. I, I missed uh, I missed that. I'm like 99% sure that's no, what that, that was. That totally so. makes sense. That totally makes sense. I also really enjoyed Ruth and Iggy's uh, like heart to heart conversation. About um after Frank goes missing, yeah. Yeah. I liked that the movie changed Tawanda to something that Evelyn got from Iggy. It makes more sense to me. In the book, Evelyn just like randomly comes up with this concept of Tawanda as her alter ego. It's kind of cringy and bold. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of cringe. Yeah, uh, but at least I feel like Edgy having come up with it rings more likely to me. She's eccentric enough without like she. It yes, it does make more sense. I don't remember. I feel like she gives an explanation in the movie that I just don't recall. Tawanda is like a an alter ego. I mean, in, in the book, it's like it's like this alter ego that Evelyn comes up with where she, like, fantasizes about, like, being confident and tough and, yeah. like, ruling the world. Yeah. And, like, making everything exactly the way she wants it. Right. Well, she has a big speech in the, in the yeah. movie. Just the name Tawanda. Yeah, yeah. Is, like, we could have called it something else. Maybe, like, something that doesn't sound like... I, I think they were going for, like... Like, and it's not 
exactly the right but like um wonder woman like amazonian yeah i think that's what they're going for amazonian goddess type thing but yes it does it does evoke a particular racial stereotype yeah i loved um when evelyn is starting to get her confidence up and she she makes a, a low calorie meal for ed and he's like are you trying to kill me and she just smiles at him and is like, if I was trying to kill you, I'd use my hands. <laughs> yeah. I liked that the movie moved the trial up. In the book, the trial actually happens like decades later. Oh. Um, and Ruth is already dead in the book, so she doesn't testify. Um, so she gets to testify in the movie. So I like that. That would have there. There's my solution for my version, though. Yeah. To be fair, if they do that same order in the movie and then have her convicted. And then she has and to go into she hiding has to go as in, ninny. And then she goes into hiding as ninny. Then it actually works. You still get all the rest of the story with True. Ruth. They could have done it that way. That's interesting. I liked that in the movie, Evelyn actually confronts Ed about how she's been trying to improve their relationship, but she can't because he's not interested in pulling his weight and also working to improve it. Yeah. And we don't really get that moment in the book, so I, en- I enjoyed that for her. Mm-hmm. I liked the movie's change to Mrs. Threadbook, Mrs. Threadgood to Ninny actually being in the nursing home and not like planning to go home. Because um, in both the movie and the book, she says she's just staying there with Mrs. Otis. And when I started reading the book, I was like, oh, it's totally going to be that she's actually like in the nursing home. And this is just something she's like telling herself that she's staying here with Mrs. Otis. Um, and then it kind of panned out more closely to what I thought it was going to be in the book. That's, wait, say that again? She The movie, she does go home. Yeah, but she wasn't, like, supposed to. Like, she was just in the nursing home because they tore her home down. But they let her leave in the movie. <laughs> I'm... No, that because that was the same thing I thought. So, so just this is what was confusing to me because I thought the same thing. I thought that in the in, when in watching the movie, I thought when they're like, she's like, no, I'm just here with Miss Otis. I'm gonna go home. I'm yeah. I get to leave. I was like, oh no, like she. Yeah, and that was what I thought in the book. So what what's missing from the book, if this helps clarify, is the scene where Evelyn talks to Mrs. Otis's daughter, and her Mrs. Otis's daughter is like oh, no, her house doesn't exist anymore. She lives here now. Right. But it is interesting because they do let her leave yeah. in the movie, which was what made it confusing to me. It is a little confusing. Because I thought the same thing. Because, like, there's the scene where it's like, oh, no, her house got torn down, but we, nobody told her. But to me, the implication wasn't that she had to stay there, just that that she was, like, infirmed there or whatever, but that... They just didn't tell her that her house got torn down, and then it sort of got lost in the paperwork that she wasn't supposed to leave, and then she, mm-hmm. or because she does. That was what was confusing to me is that at the end of the movie they do just let her leave. Uh, yeah, she does just leave. That's fair. And and because that was the same thing I was thinking, where it was like, oh, she's she's sort of uh, either you know lying to herself about whether or not she gets to you know leave eventually, um, but then she does leave, and I was like, oh, she did just get to leave, and then uh, yeah, so I I thought that was a little maybe just. It is a little bit muddled. muddled that's fair. Maybe. Yeah. I did like uh, Mrs. Threadgood's wall of photographs. 
though. There is a point in the book where Iggy looks, or gosh, Evelyn. Evelyn looks at a bunch of her old photographs, um, but they're just like in a box that she left to her after she's died. Um, So I I liked the wall and like the flowers and everything. I thought that was nice. Mm -hmm. There's a moment in the book where Iggy takes a teenaged stump, Buddy Buddy Jr., um, to the town hooker so he can lose his virginity. And I cannot stress enough how glad I am the movie dropped this. Uh, Yeah. I mean, look, look. I think for a number of reasons, there's a, you could say that it's maybe a good idea that the movie dropped it. Mainly because there was be, have to be so much setup and yeah. nuance and conversation. Uh, as we've mentioned before, we are a sex positive show. We are a sex worker positive <laughs> yes. show. I have no issue with sex workers, prostitutes. Go to town, do your thing safely, and it should be legal. But there is definitely a lot of legwork you would have to do in setting up that particular story element for it to not feel problematic and weird that particular and it is weird because uh this character and she uh, uh, the person who i think is supposed to be this character does appear in the movie but they never name her her name is eva green and she's a little older than Iggy. Like the actress Eva Green? <laughs> I, I think that was her name. It's Eva something. Okay. I think it was Eva Green. Uh, but she's like a little older than Iggy, and they're like friends. So she's a good bit older than Buddy. And also, like, Iggy is basically his mom at this point. So, like, your mom taking you... Here's the thing. I'll, here's all I'll say about this. I think there's a way to tell that story in a way that is sex positive and um, compelling and interesting and tells a good heartwarming story about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And um, again, but I don't I would there would have to be so much legwork yeah. in terms of how old is Buddy? What's this? Why? What's the lead up to the situation where this is transpiring? What is B- uh, Buddy and Iggy's relationship like? You know, like there's so many factors that would need to all work mm-hmm. and feel right for this to be like a good story element. Yeah. That I feel like it just maybe we don't do that. <laughs> like maybe the movie made a good call by just not just going not. down that avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, but I will say that just to be clear, I do think that there's could potentially be a way to do it. That would work. I just, yeah, think it would take a lot. <laughs> there's also a plot point in the book where Evelyn goes to what they call a fat farm. To lose weight, and I cannot stress <laughs> enough how glad I am that the movie dropped. That's this. a very eighties thing, though. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. I like somewhere in my notes is like, oh shit, she's going to fat camp. Yeah. Like what? Uh, that image of Ninny sitting on her suitcase where her house used to be. Yeah, heartbreaking. And I thought it was nice that Ninny goes to live with Evelyn. Yeah, it's not how the book ends. No, she no, did. she dies. But yeah, and, that's a nice, yeah. uh, more a little more optimistic, um, not optimistic, but a little um, happier of an mm-hmm. ending. Yeah, since Ruth already died, um, and especially with the movie making wink, wink, nod, nod, that Iggy is Ninny, mm-hmm. having her get more of a happy ending. It's, it's nice. Feels nice. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and talk about what the movie nailed. <laughs> 
as I expected, practically perfect in every way. Um, Ninny just kind of, like, seeing Evelyn in the nursing home and, like, adopting her and starting to talk her arm off. Nailed that. Uh, Ninny also teases the Frank Bennett story by saying, how anyone could have thought she murdered that man. <laughs> and it does happen very early in the book. Yeah. And we don't get the reveal till much closer to the end, similar to how it is in the movie. Uh, Iggy does run away and live uh, in the woods uh, after Buddy dies. Um, the wood, in, in, uh, in the movie, it's like there's like a, a bar club house yeah, of ill yeah, repute yeah, out yeah. there. Uh, in the book, there's... Um, Another small town that's like the the black town. Oh, okay. Um, I think it was Troutville. Gotcha. It's called. So she spends a lot of time there as well in the book. Uh, Iggy does steal her brother's car and takes Ruth on the picnic where she gets the honey for her. Uh, Ninny does dye her hair purple. Oh, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Um, when Iggy goes to... Uh, Ruth's house that first time mm-hmm. um, after she's married after she's married uh, she does say to Ruth's mother tell her the bee charmer from Alabama is here and her mother turns around and says Ruth there's some bee person <laughs> here to see you yeah um, and then also Ruth's uh, message to Iggy on the bible page now where she underlines yeah the... where she underlines the the specific segment and, yeah. and Iggy knows that it's time to go get Ruth yep and then the specific line where they are retrieving Ruth, um, and I think her brother says, uh, looks like your wife's leaving you, mister, <laughs> as they're, like, taking her suitcases out. Yeah. Um, Evelyn's encounter with the very rude boy at the grocery store. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a set up as the parallel to her encounter with the two girls where she smashes yeah. the car. Yeah. Because um, she's not really able to stand up for herself yeah. successfully. Before she moment. has her... Uh transformation yes uh, ninny does diagnose evelyn with menopause mm-hmm. in the book um and Iggy and ruth do help um the transient homeless people in the de- in the depression a particularly smoky lonesome he's a fairly important character yeah. in the book um but they help a, a lot of different people who pass through and need food and a place to stay etc mm-hmm Evelyn does work for Mary Kay in the book, although I do kind of wish they would have shown her getting the pink Cadillac because I just think that would have been fun. Yeah. Um, there, I believe Fanny Flagg's friend was friends with the woman who started Mary Kay or something. Really? <laughs> there, I read some fun <laughs> fact. Friends with Mary Kay. I read some fun fact that there was some weird connection to Mary Kay between hmm. like Fanny Flagg or... Or something. There was some connection. Maybe it was an actress in the movie. There was something. Yeah. Where somebody either in the movie or Fanny Flagg was like closely connected with the person who started Mary Kay. And now I can't remember what that fun fact was because I didn't include it. Anyway. I feel like that's a very like 80s thing. Yeah. To like get successful selling Mary Kay. Oh, yeah. And then the line, secrets in the sauce. Yeah. Oh, yeah. After they cook after they frank. cook up frank yeah i'm pretty sure the only way to be successful in mary Kay was to have been in it in the 80s when it was yeah. still new yeah <laughs> that's how gotta, that's how pyramid schemes work all right we got a few odds and ends and then we'll get to the final verdict 
I thought Ruth and Edgy were both perfectly cast. I agree. Yeah, they're movie. both incredible. Um, I <laughs> I had a note that uh, Mary Louise Parker, who plays Ruth, was just Anne Hathaway before <laughs> Anne Hathaway was Anne Hathaway. She, does, yeah. she looks exactly she has like a very Anne, Anne Hathaway. Hathaway kind of look and, and demeanor. Vibe, yeah. yeah, her whole thing is like she's Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yeah. Or that's not fair. Anne Hathaway is Mary Louise Park. That's fair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and I also wanted to mention that I, I just was Googling while we were doing the movie uh, or watching the movie. And I, I re- found out that Nick Cersei, the guy who plays Frank, mm-hmm. uh, turns out he's also an asshole in real life. Oh. That's fun. If you want to know how he's an asshole, just go glance at his Twitter feed. Oh. Yep. One of those kind of assholes. <laughs> That revealed so much yep. to me in that, <laughs> yep. in that single sentence. Feed. Yep. Oh, what's that most recent tweet? Supporting a coup in America. Great. Fantastic. Good for you. Dying a fire. <laughs> but yeah, he's like the same guy. Yeah. Klansman then. Klansman, Klansman now. now. Uh, all right. Um, so I had never read this book before. I had seen the movie years ago. Didn't remember too much about it, except that they, like, barbecued the guy. Yeah. That was basically all I remember, was that there were lesbians and they barbecued a guy. <laughs> so, you know, the important bits. The important bits. Um, but I had never read the book, and I did not realize what a deep dive into varying issues this book was going to be. Hmm. Um, and... I wanted to talk about the biggest difference between the book and the movie here in this segment, because I don't think it's necessarily a better or worse change, but that the two mediums are just doing different things. So the movie tells a very tight, contained story about Edgy and Ruth. Totally get that. I I don't think there's any way that this book could be adapted beat for beat into a film, maybe a TV show. The book is much more expansive than the film. It includes the story of Iggy and Ruth, but it's also about Whistle Stop. Um, We watch the town deteriorate and die over the decades. Uh, There's also a lot about poverty and who suffered and who didn't suffer during the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, The book also has way more black characters, and we follow some of them individually, Uh, There's a lot in the book about both racism and colorism. One thing that I think the book was doing was presenting a specific moment in time and especially two specific types of racism, both of which absolutely exist. Uh, One is perhaps best exemplified by Grady where you can be a raging bigot but make exceptions in your mind for the black people that you personally know. Uh, The other is people who hold racist beliefs but aren't educated or aware enough to understand that they're being racist, talking about the type of person who, like, sincerely thinks that statements like, black people are such great athletes is, like, a nice thing to say. Not like like, Barack Obama's so eloquent. yeah, Yeah, like, and not that they're being disingenuous or purposefully obtuse, but they, like, sincerely think that it's a nice thing to say and they don't understand that they're being racist. I think that's best exemplified by both Ninny and Evelyn, both of whom hold outdated and stereotypical ideas about black people. Now, the book is critical of this in a roundabout way. Um, 
at times by having Ninny or Evelyn espouse such a belief and then subtly refuting it. For example, at one point they have a conversation about whether black people or white people want to be the other race more. Yes, that happens. Um, and then after that, we get a story about one of the black female characters trying to lighten her skin and straighten her hair. In other ways, the book isn't particularly critical, see Grady, um, but seems more like it's just presenting a scenario and saying, make of this what you will. So make of that what you will, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I think the book mostly escapes being a white savior story, so yeah. that's something. Yeah. Um, and also note, as you should, that the author is a white woman, so it, while it's nice that these issues get included, she can't write about experiencing racism or colorism from a personal perspective. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely, um, it sounds like there's a lot more going on in the, in the book than there is in the movie. It's definitely a big element of the movie. And mm -hmm. I, I think even the movie in general does a fairly good job of avoiding falling into some pitfalls in terms of like, white savory tropes and that sort of yeah. thing it, it does fall whole you know face first into the whole sort of um excusing grady's behavior type of thing and like he's and a nice racist not, yeah he's a nice racist and that, it has plenty of elements of it of that that are problematic yeah. and stuff like that but i also think it does and while it's not focusing on uh the black characters in the movie it does they do feel with the minimal time they get, they do feel like fleshed out, mm -hmm. um, realistic characters. Not that I know, but like it, it feels like not caricatures necessarily mm -hmm. in the same way that you might get in some movies telling stories in the same time period. And so, yeah, I, I think it, it does, uh, it has its problems and it's, 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 it's goods and it's bads in relation to sort of the race message, racial message. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of of the movie. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, this movie's depiction of the lesbian, the gals being pals, the lesbian <laughs> relationship, uh, which is the the whole story in the movie, uh, mm -hmm. because we don't get all the other stuff with uh, the, you know, the town and, and the other characters and that sort of thing. We're just focused on Ruth and Iggy and it is their relationship. And I had read before we watched the movie uh, I think it was on Wikipedia that um, there was some criticism that the movie made their their relationship completely like subtext, completely mm -hmm. like downplayed the um, their 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 re sexual relationship, whereas the book was more overt with it. And I wanted to get your take on that because obviously I didn't read the book and I wanted to see if you felt like that was an accurate criticism. And, and this was just something I read on like Wikipedia or something. Uh -huh. So. Uh, so what's interesting about this is that I feel like, at least to me, the way I read it, the book is like not not subtext. Uh, they almost just do subtext in like two different ways. Yeah. So the book is upfront about Iggy having a crush on Ruth, like when they initially meet. It doesn't try to mask that. The book also acknowledges that Ruth feels the same way about Iggy. Uh, at one point, she thinks that might be why Frank beats her because he can, like, somehow tell how she feels about Iggy, um, which, by the way, that's as close as the book ever gets to any kind of, like, queer punishment or queer self-hatred narrative. Both women acknowledge that they love each other. 
They do it in the movie too. Yes. I think. Or at least Iggy says it about Ruth yeah. during the trial. But um, the book doesn't really label the relationship, except that at one point. Mama Threadgood says to Ruth, we couldn't be happier for our little girl to have such a sweet companion as you. And that's about as close as we get to like an explicit label on this relationship, which may have been common for the time. Yeah. But it also, you know, the book doesn't try to do any kind of like just gals being pals type of thing, uh, nor does it force them to like hide their relationship because of time period or location. Like that's not an element of the story that right. like, oh, we're together, but we yeah, we must hide. It's not, it's not overtly explained, like talked about how them like discussing the fact that they need to keep it quiet or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, that's not what the story's about. Yeah. The implication is that everyone is just kind of fine with it because it's Iggy and Ruth. Yeah. Now, the movie lacks even a mention of an explicit label, but it, it also doesn't try to, like, mislabel or force them to mislabel themselves. We had a conversation about this earlier before recording, actually before even watching the movie. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit. And I think the reason that I remembered the movie being less subtext than it actually was is because the movie shows way more of their actual relationship. Like, it shows their relationship developing and gives them several tender one-on-one -on -one scenes. In the book, all we really get is the scene where they go on a picnic and Edgy retrieves the honeycomb. I, I agree. I don't. So uh, that was something I read before watching the movie. And upon watching the movie, I mean, you always want to be careful about like queer baiting and stuff. And mm -hmm. but I don't think I thought the movie did a really pretty good job of making it very clear through the language of film mm -hmm. what the deal with their relationship was. And you can argue, sure, that like maybe a, a better representation is a more explicit mm -hmm. sort of acknowledgement of their relationship. But I also think that you could maybe argue that in the context of the time period and the story, the movie's trying to tell of sort of the fact that it is something that is not acknowledged mm -hmm. in a way, like because of the time period, like they, like you said, everybody just kind of is okay with it. Yeah, they just, like, don't acknowledge it. They just it. don't acknowledge It's sort of a don't ask, don't tell, which is not, obviously not great. But, like, again, we're telling a period story here, and I think the movie makes it very clear what is going on. I mean, you you, you know, you talk about how Iggy mentions, or we you, know, you hear that Iggy has a crush on Ruth early in the book, like, when mm -hmm. they first meet or whatever. And that's very clear in the movie without ever hearing anybody say that or hearing a character think that mm -hmm. or anything like that, just by the way they look at each other. Like it's not subtle that they are into each other. Yeah. And, and like you said, we also get uh, more scenes of their relationship developing. Um, and we, 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 I mean, this movie could be called meaningful glances, the <laughs> film, like, you know, it's yeah, <laughs> like that. And, and so, yeah, there's definitely criticism to be leveled in, in regards to the fact that, you know, it's maybe we could go beyond meaningful glances in our depiction of mm -hmm. um, non heteronormative relationships. That would be great. And it's good to know that we have now. Uh, it's a good thing that we have now. But also, you know, for a story in this time period, maybe this sort of like acknowledgement of what their relationship had to be is mm -hmm. also meaningful in a way. 
Like, right. you know what I mean? Like depicting their relationship in a way where it's clear what it is, but also sort of um, gives us a, a window into that type of relationship in that time period. Yeah. Is maybe interesting. No, I, I agree. I don't know. And the thing that I appreciate, the thing that I appreciate about both of these is that neither the book nor the movie did the like sneaking around, we have to hide, um, oh no, somebody might have found out about us type of narrative. Because it's, God, it doesn't all have to be that. No. No, absolutely not. It doesn't all have to be fraught. We can have like a, a nice love story where they're like falling in love with each other. Yeah. And, you know, because it is, it, and it's, um, it, you know, a similar maybe comparison would be something like, um, because time period wise, it's a little different, but similar is um, the HBO show um, that we watched. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. The woman who's uh, a coal baron in <laughs> in England and <laughs> Gentleman Jack. Gentleman Jack. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name of the show. Um, but there's a similar, a very similar dynamic between mm-hmm. uh, the two female yeah. leads. Um, but there is a little more of the yeah. That that show leans more a, a little bit into like, oh, this is wrong. We can't let anyone find out from the perspective of. The younger woman yes. who's not as sure, like she feels that way. Um, and I can't remember. Anne. Anne doesn't feel that way and is is more sort of just she's more feels like a like Iggy's character and mm-hmm. is just sort of like she is let people think what they yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and I, I uh, guess Iggy is like her since she was a real person. Yeah, true. Um, but it is uh, that mo- that that show goes more into a. Uh, it's a it's a much more um they're not there's no hinting like it's it's very clearly you yes. know they're in you know it's a very um not in your face isn't the right word but um yeah in your face depiction <laughs> I don't know I couldn't think of a better term for it uh, of, of their relationship it's much more explicit even though I also kind of hate to use the word explicit yeah, ex- because, that's why I didn't want to say explicit because yeah. that's not what I meant. Explicit has connotations of like, right. Explicit has like sexual connotations, but explicit can also mean like direct and obvious. Yes, which is how I'm using it. Yes, and that's why I avoided saying explicit. But yeah, and why I went within your face, which is also not better. Anyways, <laughs> it is a more explicit depiction of their relationship, but it also does because of that fall into a little bit of the like, yeah, ooh, like it's a you know got to keep it a secret, run around, yes, that kind of thing. Um, but to be fair, that's also something that people had to consider at the time yes. because they do you know, <laughs> there legal ramifications. They talk about people being hung for that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, yeah it's 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 interesting. And I, I and I all of that is to say that I thought the movie, while having its problems, um, does act did actually have a more explicit and obvious mm-hmm. um, relationship between the two of them than was maybe alluded to by some of the stuff I had read. Yeah. Um, and I will say that uh, in the Wikipedia, and I don't think I mentioned this, or maybe I did in the prequel, that the movie did win, like, the GLAAD Award for Best Picture or something like mm-hmm. that that year. Um, and so it was seen at the time as a particularly good um, representation. So, anyways. 
I also wanted to mention that I think there's a super valid queer platonic reading of their relationship or ace reading of their relationship. And I think the story's choice to not show us explicitly romantic or physical uh, elements of their relationship could be a valid interpretation of that reading. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in here at the end. I We didn't talk about it during the main episode, but it is something that I think is a totally valid and interesting um, perspective on the depiction of their relationship. All right, that was all we had. It's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict after Both the book and the movie have their strong points. The movie tells a tight, encapsulated story, and the book is more sprawling and expansive. The movie closely follows two specific relationships, and the book comments on a variety of social issues. I don't know if there's really a better or worse. They're doing two different things. We could also put this one down on the list of books that ought to be adapted as television. Which is all of them. <laughs> I think that would be the way to do it. At the end of the day, I think I'm going to give this one to the movie just by a hair. I did enjoy the book. I thought it had a lot of interesting stuff to say, and I like that it followed in the Southern, Southern lit tradition of making the setting its own character. However... I felt that the book, in trying to comment on racial issues, doesn't always do so consistently, and for me, that's a problem. Additionally, while I loved a lot of what was in the book that didn't make it into the movie, I did feel that there was enough stuff that felt superfluous for it to be bothersome to me. So for those reasons, I'm going with the movie this time. There you go. Fried green tomatoes is better. Then fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. <laughs> Fantastic. As always, you can do us one giant favor before we reveal what next episode is. Head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for two, five, fifteen dollars a month. Uh, you get access to different things at each level. We're going to be recording another bonus episode very soon. I won't say anymore, but we're going to. We, we have need, notes. We, we just have to, just to do it. Get on a schedule for that. Need to do it. <laughs> we have notes about uh, some shows and movies that we've watched. And we're going to talk about them, but we just need to do it. Also, you can do us a giant favor. If you can't support us uh, monetarily, that's fine. We understand. Just head over to uh, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to us that that allows you to give us a rating. Give us a five-star rating and a review. We would appreciate that very, very much. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, uh, all those places. In particular, one of the things we love when you follow us on those is if you can comment and vote on our, uh, our follow-up polls for the movies. Um, we with A few days after the episodes come out, Katie will post a follow-up poll, which lets you vote on either the book or the movie. If you have an opinion on which one is better, feel free to vote. If you don't, if you just have opinions on the movie or the book, just comment. You can just be like, oh, I love the movie because this, or I hate the movie because this, or whatever. Throw those comments on Twitter, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook. We compile them all, and in our prequel episode... We, uh, we read all your reaction and, and talk about it. So do that for us. We'd really appreciate it. Katie, what's next? Coming up next, we are doing a classic 90s family film that I didn't realize was a book. I had no idea book. this was a book, and I had no idea we were doing this, and I'm psyched about it. <laughs> I had no idea this was a book until we started doing this podcast, and I started clicking on every single movies you didn't know were based on books articles that, <laughs> I, that came yeah. up in my 
social media feeds, we are doing Jumanji. Jumanji. Goodness. I had no idea. No idea. And I also, like I said, had no idea we were doing this. I'm very excited about it. This is a good this time of year movie. Yes. It's great uh, pre-Christmas. It's not a Christmas movie, obviously. Oh, there, there's a Christmas think, scene I in it. I think it is arguably, Christmas, like when, at the end at the when end, they come back. Yes, yeah. at the end, there is Christmas. But, you know. I would argue that doesn't make it a Christmas movie. No, <laughs> but, but we could have that argument. We, we've again. had that argument. <laughs> you can go back and listen to our Die Hard uh, prequel episode yeah. or main episode. I can't remember one of those two. We talked about what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie. I think it was the prequel. Yeah, it was the prequel. Um, but yeah, so we won't get into that again. But uh, yeah, I am excited. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the original Jumanji. I watched like the the sequel remake. Mm-hmm. It's not a remake, but the sequel. Um, not too long ago, and that was the first one of those was good. At least I haven't seen the second one. But yeah, I'm 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 excited to revisit Jumanji. I love this movie; it's good. I've seen it dozens of times. I'm Never pretty, read it. I'm pretty excited. Sweet. Come back in one week's time. We'll be doing a prequel episode for Jumanji, talking about all your feedback for Fried Green Tomatoes, and maybe learning something. We'll see. And then in two weeks' time, we're talking about Jumanji. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.